this moment is me laying on the beach all alone. I'm missing three quarters of my left quad, I'm losing blood rapidly, and I have this really profound thought come over me, which is, is this what it feels like to die? I get thrown off my surfboard. Before I can even get a chance to look around, I look down and see a shark biting into my leg. So seeing its teeth sinking into my, my left quad. But for me, the scariest moment is actually something that comes a little bit later on when I wake up in hospital. Uh, and I was told by doctors that due to the damage to my leg and the injuries that I'd sustained, that I would never walk or surf again. My physiotherapist, committed to helping me get through my recovery, just said, look, regardless of the prognosis, you've got a long road ahead of you. People fail not from aiming too high and missing, but from aiming too low and hitting. I'm sure everyone's been in that, that situation before. I'm sure you've been there as well, mm. where you're almost afraid of aiming too high or being too ambitious because there's always that little voice in the back of your head or maybe even someone else who's telling you to like dial it back and to be more realistic. And yeah. then you get to that point and you're like, did I have more to give? Like how much further could have I pushed that? Mm. I could easily look at the, the attack as the worst day of my life, but what I call it is it's the best day of my life because mm. in the end it's given me so much more than it's taken away. Brett, how are you, my friend? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for thanks for inviting me up. Mate, any time. You've come up from South Coast, yeah. Kaiama. Good little, good little train trip. Yeah. Um, it's always nice to have a bit of time to, to sit there and just lock into some work on the train for that. At least do a bit of riding when you don't have any reception in between like Wollongong and Sydney. So oh. it's, it's always worth it. Isn't it beautiful when Telstra drops out? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so we're going to get into it, mate. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. And, and look, for all of our listeners, um, you are used to um, hearing discussions with business leaders. And Brett's got a very much a business conversation about today, but there's there's an interesting twist. Uh, and some people might already know um, Brett from some stuff on the uh, TV, um, <laughs> if you've had a, the opportunity to, to look at uh, his documentary. But um, let's start with the, the story, mate, about you the shark attack. Let's go there. It's the story that you've probably told a thousand times, but it's an important story in the context of who you are and what we're going to talk about today, mate. So I'd love you to maybe just give all the listeners a bit of background so they get a feel for who you are. Okay. So the the attack, I mean, you say like we're going to go straight into it. It's it's what everyone's here for, right? You, you see shark attack in the title and there's a reason why people will naturally be drawn to those words. Um, it is a, a scary experience. It's one that not many people find themselves in. It's one people hope they don't find themselves in. And I think that that is the the interesting part of it from my perspective as someone who has lived through it because I talk to people all the time and get all the different questions about, about the attack and something I enjoy answering, obviously, otherwise I probably wouldn't be here today. But the, um, the questions are always fascinating because I think they come from a true place of curiosity, which is why I'm always happy to share the story itself. Mm. And when I look back at that experience and, and I kind of consider what's the best way to tell it um, without taking a couple of hours out of everyone's day because if I was to tell you every single detail, it's going to go for a very long time. Yeah. So I think the best lens to answer it through is probably some of the key moments. And when I talk about the key moments, the best way to reflect on them is probably the scariest moments. Um, and there's, I, I guess a lot of people have their preconceptions about what the scariest moment of a shark attack might be like it is a very confronting experience to go through where there's it's very raw obviously and the the scary moments that I'll I'll run you through are impactful but for me the scariest moment isn't anything that happened in the attack itself this is something that happened a little bit later on so that's kind of where I'll, I'll lead you to but the first scary moment that is worth talking about is the first impact. So when it hits me for the first time as I'm sitting out there in the ocean mining my own business essentially um, and I get thrown off my surfboard before I can even get a chance to look around, I look down and see a shark biting into my leg. So seeing its teeth sinking into my, my left quad and that is a, a terrifying moment because I guess the, the enormity and the reality of that situation, it just hits you all at once and causes you to freeze. Um, and the, the thing about this particular moment is it's where time feels like it slows down to the point of stopping. Mm. And that's what creates a lot of significance within this moment here. But the thing that I 
Well, there's a couple of things I can remember, um, some kind of tangible things like the feel of the shark skin, the complete absence of sound, which is a bizarre one to me, but it's something I can vividly remember. And then the look in the shark's eyes. And I guess the scary thing about that visual impact of looking down and seeing your worst nightmares, like coming to fruition right in front of you is, yeah. is scary because you realise as you're looking this shark in the eyes that this isn't something that you can argue with and you can't reason with and you certainly can't tell it to stop. So there's that feeling that you're really, really hopeless within that moment. Mm. Um, so that's probably the first moment that I would talk about, which is that initial impact and knowing immediately that your life is probably going to change forever. The second moment is after I make what's called the mistake of pulling away for the, from the shark for the first time, sacrificing a, a large chunk of my quad um, in the process. And I say mistake, um, it, it's a natural reaction. This is part of that fight, flight or freeze response. This is me trying to get away from the situation. And what that does is essentially when I tried to pull away from the shark and get out of there, um, it holds onto my leg um, and it it's called a degloving injury when that happens. Mm. So it'll just separate the flesh from, from your body. Mm. Um, and that is how I get away from the shark in the first uh, instance. But then this second scary moment is as I'm swimming for my life towards the beach, I have this thought come over me and it's a terrifying thought. The thought of like, is this thing going to come back a second time? And the only thing scarier than having that thought is looking over your shoulder and actually seeing it approach mm -hmm. uh, for the second time. And I have just enough of a reaction to put my hands out to try and stop it. But this second moment is me with my arms outstretched, hands on the, the nose of the shark as it's pushed me through the water. And I'm thinking to myself, am I ever going to get away from this thing? Like how much have I had to give up in order to get away from it one time, mm -hmm. like three quarters of the left quad? What am I going to have to give up to get away from it a second time? Luckily, uh, a few things break in my favour from that point. Uh, a wave actually approaches and hits us, which allows me to try and push the shark to one side uh, and that pushes me in quite a long way. And that kind of takes us on to that, this third moment that I'll speak of, which is after my good friend that I was surfing with that afternoon, his name's Joel, um, he hears my screams for help and bravely decides to paddle towards me. And he puts me on his surfboard, takes me to the beach, drags me up the sand and then runs off to get some help. And this moment is me laying on the beach all alone as he's run off. Um, I'm missing three quarters of my left quad. I'm losing blood rapidly. And I have this really profound thought come over me, which is something I don't think many people get to experience and then talk about afterwards. But the thought is, is this what it feels like to die? Which is a heavy moment to be in because you like, what are your answer to that? Mm. And there's no real answer to it. You can only really go off feeling in my experience. And there was something about that moment that just didn't feel right. I don't know why I had the right to feel that way. I didn't know how close to death I was in that moment. Um, I was extremely close. I, I couldn't quantify that in the moment. I found out later on, so I, by the time I got into the beach, I had all this pain in my stomach and I actually thought I'd been bitten there. And I was getting, when Joel came back, I was getting him to check to see if I'd been bitten there and there was nothing there. And I later found out that was actually my organs starting to shut down due to blood loss. Yeah, wow. So without knowing how close to death I was, it's incredible that that response that I had was just that, no, something doesn't feel right. Mm. And that was a good response to have because it kind of allowed me to focus on what was in my control in that moment, which was just breathing and staying present. Like I was just a passenger at that stage. But that moment there is so impactful. Like I said, there's not many people that get to experience that and then talk about it afterwards. It's a, a very spiritual thing, I guess, because we'll probably all get to that moment at some point in life, but will you ever get to talk about it? And mm -hmm. it's in my experience, I don't think it's something that, like it's, it's profound to get to that point, but I don't think it means as much as what it sounds like it means in a way, like it, it is very impactful. And I think it's more just the significance of being on the precipice, but it's not like you have your life flash before your eyes. And mm. it's not like you consider all these other things in that moment. It's just the, the terror of not knowing if you're going to keep living after that. So those moments there, like the, the attack itself, they're, they're scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's probably the best way to share that part of the story for a lot of people because it, it hits on what happens. Um, obviously, the emotional roller coaster of going through uh, the initial bite, getting away from it, it coming back, and then, um, you know, the that bit at the end, the profound bit. But for me, the scariest moment is actually something that comes a little bit later on when I wake up in hospital. Uh, and I was told by doctors that due to the damage to my leg and the injuries that I'd sustained that I would never walk or surf again. 
And that might not sound like much compared to what I'd just been through, but this has a lot of significance for me because for me, like it's one thing to have something a lot of us take for granted in walking taken away from you. Mm, mm. But the moment I heard the words that I would never surf again, like that, that I knew was going to change my life forever because surfing for me was more than just this thing that I enjoyed to do. Surfing was my entire life. Um, I had built everything in my life around this, this sport of surfing. It was my entire purpose, my identity, like everything from, uh, obviously I was doing it every day. Um, it's, it was my way of coping. Like if I was having a bad day or a bad week, that was the perfect thing for me to do. It's where all my friends were. It was my job as a surf coach and a, and a surf shop manager. But on top of that, it was, it was my dream as well. Um, from the age of 11, when I first stepped on a surfboard, I made it my massive goal, my dream to become a professional surfer. And 2016, the year of the attack, was the year when I was going to give it my one big shot at trying to live out that dream. So all of these things, as a result of what those doctors had told me, essentially just ripped away from me in that mm-hmm. moment. And I guess there's a, fe- there's a feeling within that too because I'd never been in a situation like that before. Mm. Like I had no idea what the next step was. I had no idea what to do in that moment. There's a feeling within that, that emotional struggle where you feel really lost and you feel really alone and you feel really hopeless. And that's a tough place to be because you don't know what those next steps forwards uh, are supposed to be and that that definitely as i reflect on kind of the most like the scariest obviously but the most significant moments in my story like that is where everything changed for me Mm. um because it it actually forced me to look at my life differently Um, it actually forced me to look at well there's this huge problem that i'm being faced with there's a bunch of different paths that we could take moving forward I don't know what the outcome of any of those paths were, but just knowing in that moment my life was going to be very, very different was was probably a, a significant moment on the journey, but it was kind of the first time where I was like, okay, this is this is real. I'm going to have to try and live mm. through this. Mate, it's, uh, first of all, as a listener, it's it's uh, there's a heap going on in my mind, right, because it's A, it's confronting. B, you know, you want to be respectful and empathetic to the, what you've been through, right, and to ask questions about it. I don't want anything to be trivial today, I think. It, um, it's a pretty traumatic experience to go through. But you certainly communicate with such such you know, clarity and, and, and I'd imagine you've done a lot of work to get to this point where you can talk really comfortably about and take the lessons from it, right? And I guess that's the benefit of our discussion today. It's, it's like there's some lessons in this and then there's you and how you've evolved and all the cool stuff you're doing, which we'll talk about. Um, but I, I do want to talk about... Um, you know this this experience around identity and and the and the, the hopelessness and the the rebuild because you know I, I I don't want to pass judgment on any listener but we all have versions of it now for you the you know the 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 obvious thing is the shark attack is so obvious you know it's mm. it's like the leg you can't walk it's in your face um, but I think when we if we can unpack it and i'd love to see what you've been through to to build rebuild and and how that rebuilds occurred and and what we can all take out of that from an experience point of view so you know you talked about identity quite a bit there what's um what did you have to do in terms of coping with this you know there's a there's the the damage done the fact that you wanted to you know you, you wanted to you needed to. You had no one. You almost it was like you didn't have any option to, to address it. Living was a benefit, so there's a gratitude potentially in there, but also you know some frustration. There's a lot of there's a lot of conflicting kind of things playing out, and your your dream was just ripped out from 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 your your fundamentally from your leg mm-hmm. <laughs> immediately. So what what played out from an identity point of view? The identity side of things is is difficult. And I, you touched on a point there that not many people really consider. Like you, you wake up in hospital after this traumatic ordeal and the first thing, like before you even get to the injury itself, you have to, you know, you're considering like, man, that, that could have gone really bad. And there's the thought of like, I am grateful to be alive, but that's almost outweighed by all of the other stuff there. And there's there's always that been that feeling for me anyway where I felt like I had to really display that gratitude of being alive and that almost took over the fact that there were these other things that I was facing at that point and maybe that was part of me trying to push those away because I wasn't ready to address them yet and that's Mm. part of going through an experience like this Mm. but I I really focused early on on that that gratitude piece which I think was 
probably helpful in the long run, but might not have been the best thing in that moment because I had this enormous thing over here that I had to deal with. But because I hadn't been in a situation like that before, I didn't really know what to do with that. Mm. So maybe focusing on, you know, the fact that I was grateful to be alive was just stalling while I tried to figure out those answers. And mm. like I, when it came to eventually addressing those, it wasn't something that I made a decision one day where I was like, all right, it's time to face this head on. Uh, for me, my journey really comes through a couple of a couple of different interactions that I had with people that kind of gave me those little bits of hope that helped me move forward. Mm. Um, the first one was a conversation I had with my dad who obviously was very close to the story itself and knew the struggles that I was going through and he he shed a bit of a bit of perspective on my whole situation by essentially letting me know that I wasn't alone um, by sharing the stories of not only himself but the rest of my family um, who are all alongside me in that struggle because it's really easy to feel alone in a situation like that like mm. and it's understandable as well mm. because when you are looking around and you're like okay i'm the only one that's been attacked by the shark no one else can understand what i'm going through but then you look at it on a broader level and you're like well there's not many people in the world you know who've been attacked by sharks that know what this actually feels like yes so you feel incredibly alone and that conversation I had with my dad was was one of the first little bits of hope where I started to realize okay maybe I wasn't alone and another really important thing that came from that conversation with, with my dad was actually around just the support that I had around me mm. um, and something he taught me he said that there's it's it's unfortunate that it happens like this but there's a and everyone has a number of great people around them that is that there's often there to support them but you don't really you don't really realise those people are there until you go through something significant. Mm. The only problem with that is usually when you're like in the depths of that struggle, you're not in a place to want to go out and talk to those people. So despite the fact that the support's there, having the awareness of it and wanting to actually use it is a, a whole other sort of thing that you have to face. And my dad's been really supportive the whole way through and he was someone that definitely helped me in those early days be able to be able to work through the emotional side of things and and to be able to reach out and get that support mm. like he set me up with counselors and all sorts of things like he was he was onto it from that perspective and that yeah. kind of just comes from his background well it's about uh, asking your dad's dad's from a fire and rescue yeah. background right so i would imagine he's seen his fair share of trauma as well yeah and uh, i guess that kind of that shaped his personal response to it as well mm. um he kind of knew that what was going to come emotionally was going to be significant and that he wanted to kind of get ahead of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I guess part of that, yeah, it's probably part from being on the job and seeing all that sort of thing and, and going through it for himself. But another, like as he kind of got later in his career, he was in like people and culture. So he was the person who was often putting systems in place to help a large group of people be able to deal with these so so he was aware of what that was going to take for me and that's that was just the first thing that kind of allowed me to start focusing on that that problem that I was kind of facing the other thing was a text message um, which it sounds like such a, a simple and plain thing to happen but when I, I share those little stories of those things that give you a bit of hope like the text message is the perfect example of one because mm. it kind of feels like it comes from nowhere mm. it's not like you're walking up to it and you can be like okay this might be interesting and it just comes out of the blue yeah and this text message um, comes from my physiotherapist uh, and in this message he he had actually sent it through on my birthday uh, which was very early on when I was in hospital, it was actually the day I got the operation to save my leg from the threat of amputation because mm -hmm. that was a, a big um, concern at the start. So the operation they did was pretty amazing. They took my left lat muscle from my back and transplanted that into my leg to cover the 15 centimetres of exposed bone that was there. Um, an incredible operation that they did. They have to connect a blood supply to keep the muscle alive and then a nerve, which they say might make the muscle work at some point in the future, but it's really just about saving your legs. So mm. the reason I say that was on my birthday is just to say that was a really good present to get, saving my <laughs> leg. <a> <laughs> it's a great gift. So Scott had sent me this message, wished me happy birthday, and then committed to helping me get through my recovery. Just said, look, he was actually friends when he was growing up, going through school, he was friends with Joel, who mm. I was surfing with to save my life that afternoon. And he had that bit of a connection and he was a local physiotherapist, wanted to help out. And he just said, I want to help you get better. Come in and see me when you get out. And he said, but before you get to that point, you've got a bit of like recovery and stuff to do. And he left some words of advice in relation to goal setting, which was pivotal in helping me get through the next couple of months of rehab. He said, regardless of the prognosis, you've got a long road ahead of you. 
People fail not from aiming too high and missing, but from aiming too low and hitting. Look ahead with determination and set lofty goals. And that message, like there's all those other nice things in it, but just those words of advice and Mm -hmm. trying to look at how I was going to approach the next couple of months of rehab was was significant because up until that point, I hadn't even considered what my goals were going to be because I was still really focused on like, I'm grateful to be alive, whatever happens, like I've been diet, like the, I've been given this prognosis, which is bleak, but you know, things could be worse. And it wasn't until I actually got that message that I was able to say, well, maybe I can take a bit of control of this situation. Maybe I can take some initiative and start to push forwards under my own will, under my own circumstances. And that was really powerful in kind of helping me in a way and kind of going back to your, your, uh, your question, like that was the first thing that helped me try to reclaim my identity mm. because that for me was ultimately going to be a choice. Like I, I could, I had the choice really as I'm sitting there reading that text message. Like I can sit there in a hospital bed, woe is me, why am I the one in 11.5 million, like and take on that victim mentality or you can yeah. say, well, what can I do in order to take the situation that I've got, put it under my control, not only use it as an opportunity of growth, Mm. but for me it became an opportunity to prove the doctors wrong, first of all, Um, but second of all, prove to everyone else who had supported me up until that point to prove to them what's possible. And from that point it almost became like the the recovery and the goals that we set it was about me and getting a lot of my you know a, a lot of those things that were lost back but mm-hmm. there was those real undertones for me that I was really doing it for other people as well uh, because I wanted to show other people as a way of saying thank you for all the messages that I got and all the the people that came and visited me in hospital it was just my way of saying thanks mm-hmm. so that was like when we talk about identity that became sort of the what I focused on over the coming months throughout my rehab I was really focused on my identity of not necessarily being that inspirational figure but because I couldn't surf that was the only thing I really had at that moment and I had a lot of people reaching out to me for you know for months after the attack who were consistently checking in on me who were following my progress and that was an amazing thing to be able to feel so Mm. my identity almost changed early on to be that that sort of figure and that was good because it really got me to focus on the recovery, mm. but that's kind of like a finite thing, right? Mm. Once I get to the point of being able to walk again and eventually getting back in the water and surfing, like that's gone, then where do you go? Yeah. And I, I guess that comes to, to speak about the idea of that identity. It can shift all the time. Mm. Um, sometimes it's, well, a lot of times it can be because of something, some sort of adversity or something negative in your life which has happened. But sometimes it can be due to other shifts, other things that are happening in your life. Like for someone, like the, I guess the most textbook example of an identity shift for someone is a career change. Yeah. Right? A lot of people's identity yeah. is tied to their career and something as simple as changing your job can completely change your identity and that's a choice that you can make as well. Yes. But a big thing about that, I guess, is knowing that these changes that we're going to go through, it's part of life. Um, we're all going to have to be confronted with those at some stage and whether it is something that's in your control or not, you're going to have to go through those requisite steps in order to take on this new identity and to make the most of it for whatever's to come. Yeah, and I completely agree with it and I think in forms of all changes that I've experienced in my own life and I know for listeners, you know, they can probably reflect on that to some degree. But I wonder when we talk about this and this is probably what I, you know, I think there's a bit to unpack here, is you speak so confidently about this process, but there is a process that you would have had to wrestle with. And so in one part you've been inspired to set a lofty goal. In another part you're going, I, I am literally sitting here in bed not able to walk. Um, take us through the process as you saw it, you know, what you wrestled with, where, the, where you, you made headway, where you found some challenges. It would be good to see that from a, an experience point of view, from an emotional point of view, um, just to, just to, just so the listeners get to get a real feel for the practicalities you've had to move through. Yeah, a big part of it for me was learning as I was going, <laughs> um, as as we do with a lot of different experiences. And I got a lot of things wrong in the early days, like even the goal setting, like the first goal that I set, like, and this kind of goes to show that it's all really trial and error and trying to figure out what works for you. But mm. I, I had actually, so I was in hospital for a total of five weeks 
And I got that message from my physio on the fourth day that I was in there. Mm. And it was, so I had a lot of time to think about it and to reflect on what I thought my ambitious lofty goal was going to be. And by the time I'd left hospital, I, my big goal, the thing that I wanted to do to prove to the, you know, prove the doctors wrong and do all this was that I wanted to walk again. Yeah. And it wasn't until I went into physio for the first time that I realized how far off I was. Because I walk in there and Scott's already got these goals laid out. He's got independence, livelihood and surfing. They're the three things that he's already set for me. So he's already gone way further. It's nice when someone else can set your goals. (laughs) And I'm like, you could have done this in the start. But (laughs) I I think it was, I'm not sure if he expected me to set the goal that I did because the way that that interaction worked out, it taught me a really valuable lesson. I I don't know if the lesson would have been as valuable if I went in there saying I'm going to surf and I see that on the board and I'm like, okay, cool, I'm motivated, let's go. Mm. For me, almost the perspective that I gained on the importance of the message and why we set goals like that was was important because as I'm staring at those things on the whiteboard, he can see I'm in shock and I'm thinking that he hasn't read the discharge notes, he hasn't talked to the doctors, he has no idea what he's looking at because I was told I couldn't surf anymore. Mm. And... I bring that up with him and I'm, I, I say that to him and he's like, well, do you remember the message that I sent you when I was in hospital, when, when you are in hospital? And I was like, yeah, I looked at it every single day. And he, he confronted it. He was like, well, what was the lofty goal that you set? I said, I just wanted to be able to walk again. And he almost like laughed at me, <laughs> and it's, which is like a bit offensive in the moment. But yeah. then he said, let me explain. He said, by setting that ambitious goal of surfing, he said, the, the reason I want to aim at something ambitious is because we don't know what the limit's going to be. Your injury is not like an ACL tear where someone might tear their ACL. You know exactly what the operation is. You know how long the recovery is. You kind of have an idea of what life after the ACL ACL injury looks like. Tested many times, but with this, it's so there's so much that's unknown. And he said, "Look, we have nothing to lose by aiming really high and being ambitious. The only thing that's going to hold you back is the fear of failing." which is totally understandable because everyone hates failing. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the major limiters that we have as, as human beings is that fear of failure because what will other people think of us? What would that mean you know, for our character and the person that we are? But he said, look, by setting that goal, I'm going to do everything that I can in my power as a physiotherapist to lay out the tangible pathway towards that, that, the success of that one goal. So he's like rehab plans, nutrition plans, recovery, everything that you need is going to be there. But how far you go along that pathway is probably going to be determined entirely by how much hard work, effort, dedication and sacrifice you put into the rehab every single day. And he said, I know that sounds basic and I'm sure you've heard it before in life and I'm, like everyone's heard that before, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. work hard, the good things will come later. But in order for that to work, you have to let go of the fear of failure because even if you only get halfway there, you're still probably going to far exceed many of the expectations that everybody, including yourself, had from the start. And he said, where do you think halfway is on those goals? And he was referencing the ones he'd written down on the whiteboard. And I was looking at him and I was like, probably regaining my livelihood and getting back to work. And he's like, okay, well, what do you need to achieve that? And I was running through the different things. And at the time, surfing was the goal, but my the job that I was doing that was bringing in the money was I was working in a surf shop. So I was looking at the individual things. I was like, I've got to have the cognitive ability to run the till. I've got to be able to talk to people about surfboards. <clears throat> I was like, I've got to be up on my feet all day and be in the shop. And, and I'm saying these things out loud as I'm going through it. And he goes, what was that last one? I was like, I've got to be on my feet all day. He's like, that's walking. Mm. And it all just made so much sense to me at that point because that was halfway. Like, mm. And the idea of aiming to low and hitting, like if that was what my limit was, how much potential could I have left on the table? And I'm, yeah. I'm sure everyone's been in that, that situation before. I'm sure you've been there as well, mm. where you're almost afraid of aiming too high or being too ambitious because there's always that little voice in the back of your head or maybe even someone else who's telling you to like dial it back and to be more realistic. And yeah. then you get to that point and you're like, did I have more to give? Like how much further could have I pushed that? Mm. And that really just kind of showed me the the importance of why that that whole process was was significant. And that was, I guess, when I look at the significance of like learning along the way, like that's all part of that, like the journey for lack of a better, better term mm. and that process because it takes a lot of time to figure out what works for you. And that was only one part of it. Like the goal setting process was just the ability to provide myself with a bit of direction like mm. that was the reason for getting out of bed in the morning that was my new kind of purpose in a way um and it started to shape that identity of wanting to to achieve those goals but outside of that i needed other things to kind of help me deal with the ups and downs of of that that rehab mm. because <clears throat> up until 
that point, the one thing I would do if I was having a bad day or a bad week is I'd go surfing. And the issue with the situation now is if I was having a bad time with rehab, I couldn't just go in the water and mm. go for a surf. Like I was kind of really stuck. So I had to find other things, not only around like those tangible ways of coping, but using the support that was around me and those those tangible things that were kind of like the guardrails around side the the goal setting. And that's kind of how I, I look at it and how I've tried to picture it. I don't know if it really makes sense, but if you can picture it like a bowling lane, right? Yeah, he's the goal. The goal is the the 10 pins at the end mm-hmm. and then you've got on one side, like you're playing with the bumper bars because that's always a lot easier. Yeah. And on one side, you've got your support network and the other side, you've got your tangible goal, uh, tangible coping strategies that you can put in place. So they're kind of the things that kept me on track to keep moving through that mm. that process. But when it came to achieving those goals, one of the most important things that I learned was when it comes to setting the audacious goal, it's having the wherewithal to say, I'm not going to get there tomorrow. I'm not going to be able to achieve that right away. It's going to take some time and you have to be patient with that. And the purpose of setting that goal and one really important thing I learned along the way was to to not expect yourself to take those enormous leaps forward every single day. But Mm -hmm. if you can do something small to make progress, then that's what it's all about. Because what we can get really stuck with is... Well, especially for me in that particular situation, the idea of surfing again was surfing as I was surfing before. So like borderline professional surfer. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with another professional surfer who was going through another injury and was struggling with their rehab where he was saying, look, it's, it's tough, especially when you have that high bar set for yourself. And he said, what I focus on, and this is something I really took away from it, Uh, He said, what I focus on is not trying to get back to that surf that I was before, but just trying to be better than who I was the day before. Mm. And it's really just the act of putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just the knowledge to know that you don't have to do everything right away. Like it's probably going to take time. And I guess everyone can relate to that. If anyone has gone on any any sort of meaningful quest of trying to achieve a goal, you'll understand that it doesn't happen overnight. Yes, yes. Um, and like we were talking about this earlier, when it comes to like setting up a business or doing something like that, it's not going to happen right away. It's about those individual steps that you put in place. And at times it'll feel slow. Like yeah. at times you feel like you're taking steps backwards. But when you have the ability to reflect on how far you've come up until that point, that's where you can look back and be like, okay, I'm proud of the work that I did there. Mm. And that's really what you should be measured off, not the achievement of that goal or the failure of that goal. Because if it gets to the end and you achieve it, that's great. If you don't achieve the goal, then you can reassess it, ask yourself if the goal still means a lot to you. You can change the goal or you can ask yourself, did I do everything I could in that process in the right way that I'm proud of and say I did everything within my power to try and achieve it. Mm. And it's really just an assessment of the person that you're trying to be today. It really resonates with me in many respects. I mean, I see business owners that, you know, in our world have kind of two, if I bucket them in two areas, it will be the person who is laissez-faire, chipping away, has a fair idea of some areas that they're wanting to improve, sometimes doesn't have a goal, you know, or has a goal but it's sort of not, really a goal and you know things slip around and and it's a bit painful and equally then we've got the other side where there's this great goal that doesn't mean there's not pain doesn't mean Mm. there isn't frustration that comes with it and and but it just is much more deliberate and it's a and to me it sounds like what you're talking about is and like it is for these sorts of business owners that there's a more deliberate disciplined way to deal with and navigate towards something that's important and it's out i'd love to just go back a little bit to talk about our physio friend because yeah. that's quite sage you know it's it's for him to go to you just been through a very traumatic period and, and play that kind of wise teacher role with you um i think is quite profound and, and I wonder as you've been going through this journey and you've talked about coping mechanisms and support strategies, um, did you find that the learning process through others and, and trying to capture wisdom along the way um, was uh, I guess just, you know, was it something you sought out or was it something that came to you? How did you, how did you start to deal with the support mechanisms and the fact that there were wise people that might be able to help you reframe and deal with the the journey moving forward? I think those, I didn't seek it out to begin with, but there were just those few conversations I had or those people that were in my life where I would talk to them and then I'd be like, that was really valuable or Mm -hmm. or it really 
uh, I guess, translated to my situation. And when I started realizing that the more I talked to people, the more stories I heard, the more I was like, man, like I can take something little out of their story and apply it to mine. And it really kind of goes to acknowledge the commonality of these setbacks that we all go through and these adversities that we face in life and how universal some of the lessons that we learn are yeah and that's really why i share the story today is because like i know as we said earlier there's a very small proportion of the population that will relate to the physical experience of being attacked by a shark but everyone knows what it's like to go through adversity yes everyone knows what it's like to have those setbacks to have their their identity challenged as we talked about earlier and that's part of human nature yeah. and some people would say like that is probably where some of our greatest lessons come from mm. sometimes the places we don't want to be are the places we can find the most growth mm. and that is really really powerful and being able to take what other people have learned from their experiences and try to apply that to yours is is valuable but it's not something that i was really doing in a really direct way and it wasn't until it started working the other way for the first time when i was actually in physio and i was talking to to scott and he was saying oh, i've got this guy coming in um, next week who's had a, a similar um, operation to the one that you've had um, and he said i'm really keen for you to meet him so you can tell him a bit about sort of what you've been through and what the recovery's been like and like I, at that point I was still working through everything for myself and I didn't really consider myself an expert of, of recovery because I, I hadn't even been back in the water yet and yeah. surfed yet. But when I started looking at that, I mean, like, oh, I can offer this person some help, which will, you know, his injury was a lot different to mine. His wasn't a quad, it was a calf, but the his recovery was going to look very similar. And that's when I was like, okay, it's, there is so much value in like you're often – like for me up until that point, I was the person on the receiving end of it and it wasn't until that turned around and I was able to offer my experience to help someone else that I actually saw the real value in it. Yeah, yeah. And you can, when you can see the value in it like that and you see it as that transaction in a way, I think that's where I started to really prioritise having those conversations and trying to dig a little bit, a little bit deeper with the people that I was talking to and, and just seeing what I could take out of it. And that's probably been one of the major points of development for me as a, as a human since the attack is it's probably allowed me the perspective to want to dig a little bit deeper in the relationships that I have and the conversations that I have with people because there's so much that you can learn from them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's and look, in, in reality and uh, you know, for anyone who wants a little bit of a fast forward that you will talk about, you know, the, the work you've done in the production side later, but I, I'd love to ask a question that might sound a bit challenging, but I, I, I just want to pose it. Yeah, because you were obviously helping people exploring this. You, you just give that example of the fellow that had the similar calf injury, but you're now having discussions with people on dealing with adversity in a much broader sense. And, you know, the shark bite, one of the beauties of it is it's so obvious and it's so easy to see and, and, and I don't want to at all make this feel like it's a luxury at all. But, but for some people, the adversity they're dealing with is below the surface mm. and it's it's in their mind and it might be a, a, you know, a, a struggle that no one else can see. Um, and I wonder what, what you've learned through the teaching and engagement of others when you've been working on sharing your story and how, how it might play out for different scenarios in in. in engaging them and supporting them in helping people learn from your own experience yeah i think you you hit the nail on the head there with it's like having something tangible that people can see is i guess it's just reinforcement of of like i guess what has happened in the first first place and one big thing and one of the biggest messages that i try and focus on is that it's not about what happens to you but it's about how you respond mm. Um, some people, they will have physical scars. Some people will be emotional scars. So, like everyone's probably going to have something different that they're dealing with and they are going to have different things that they're dealing with. But but really from that point, it's okay, what tangibly can you do to take control of the situation, to bounce back if it's an adversity or if it's a goal that you're trying to achieve? Like what can you do in order to get there? Mm. But I think it's it's a perfectly reasonable thing to, to look at the tangible scar that's there because that's really what gets a lot of people's attention mm. and I always I often talk about like when you are sharing something with a group of people you have to you have to really let them know that you you care about them and you have to relate with them on a level that you probably wouldn't often find that you relate with people on and a big part of that is 
if someone can see that you have been through that struggle and that they've seen that loss, they can then see the value in what comes afterwards as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Another good example of that is there's a, a good friend of mine who also lives really close to me who used to be a lawyer, um, went through her own adversity um, and as a result of that she's gone on to achieve some amazing things in life and the reason that she has actually done that is in in her experience of taking up meditation now a lot of people would probably look at meditation on the surface of it and be like sure meditation is something that's good for for some people to do any sort of mindfulness practices or um, it might be their way of coping but to be able to recover from something significant like she did in her life and to achieve so much more and put the the emphasis on that on her taking up meditation is something a lot of people would be like that I find a bit questionable but it's not until you look back at the fact that she gave up a really successful career in law in order to talk about this stuff you can see what she's tangibly given up Mm, mm. in order to to try and tell someone about something that means so much to her that it really holds value yes so I think when it comes to that that equation almost you kind of it needs to balance out there needs to be the loss in order to to value the gain yeah in a way and i think whether it is through giving up something like a, a tangible career or seeing something a physical loss like what i have here in my leg i think when people can visualize that and they don't have to go through that trivial um i guess exercise of trying to figure out okay what how can i relate to this person what are they giving me yeah then i think that's where they can start to see the value so going back to the gratitude piece, is this, this the gift you have now to live your purpose? Yeah, and, and that, that's something that it took a while to get to that point. Mm. Uh, it's not until you can start to – because I, especially when I started early on sharing the story, trying to, to develop that purpose of using what I had to help other people because that's kind of how I looked at it is saying I could easily look at the the attack as the worst day of my life, but what I call it is it's the best day of my life because mm-hmm. in the end it's given me so much more than it's taken away. Um, yeah, it's taken away a large chunk of my leg. It took away my dream of becoming a professional surfer, but what it's given me is an opportunity to have a positive impact on someone's life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's given me an opportunity to change someone's life in some case and that developed that new purpose of using the story with the hopes of just helping one person because that's one person like that I couldn't have helped before the attack happened. Like, yeah, I could make someone's day by selling them a surfboard they really love, but you're probably not going to change their life. That's the reality of that. And living out that purpose is something that even if it comes from the right place, for me early on was difficult to to be able to do. Like I felt like an imposter Mm. because I wasn't someone that was comfortable in front of an audience. And when I started trying to put things in context of someone else's life or business, I would say to myself, well, what right do I have to put myself in their shoes and to say this is this is it? And I, I would say all the time, I'd be like, and this is how it worked for me specifically, so take the parts that you want. But it's not until someone can actually see the results of it. And, mm. yeah, the results of my experience is being able to rega- regain a lot through being able to walk again, being able to surf to you know levels that I'm really, really happy with. And I guess the interesting part of of my story yeah it's it, it's the hero's journey right it's and everything is a version of the hero's journey but my my one's the one that ultimately ends up in failure because even though i was able to achieve so much i was never able to achieve that goal of surfing again mm. because that became a goal at some stage throughout that recovery because as i got on a board for the first time it became well i want to surf on the boards that i used to surf and then i want to get back to competing and it it got back to the point where i was the same person i was before the attack trying to chase that dream again and it wasn't until I actually took a step back and was like did I really go through this whole experience just to become the person that I was before that I actually took a step back and was like maybe there's something else to this but Mm. and I guess that's another thing for me that I have in one way or another given up in order to to focus on the thing that means more to me now which is sharing the story and a big part of that kind of does come back to to gratitude like it is kind of a full circle moment there right um and the reason why I do say it is the best day of my life is I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't alive and I am grateful to be alive really in the end of it. Yeah. Mate, there's so much in that. It's Because uh, it's interesting when I hear you say failure about not becoming the professional surfer, that's that's subjective, right? That's, yeah. That's your failure. But to me, I'm like, well, no, no, no. I, I, I don't see failure now, right? But it's the thing we wrestle with all the time. It's like our version of failure and it's our 
our story in our head um, that shapes the way we feel about this. And, and you know, you talked about into- imposter syndrome, but you've you've come so far, right? You you're you're surfing now, which is great. You, we've it was five months later, you were surfing. Yeah. From what I gather, so that's ridiculous. Yeah. So you took took the bull by the horns there, but you know, you're now in a very different world, right? You. Tell us about like what you're doing now that probably I suspect you never thought you'd be doing um, in terms of the way you're um, you're evolving as a human, evolving as a, a, a leader in this in society. I and it, it is all something that also worth kind of reflecting again on that purpose, using the story to help other people. The very mm. first time I shared my story to a group of people was probably one of the most terrifying things ever. Mm. Um and it was something that I kind of almost got guilted into doing. Uh, one of my friends is a school teacher and he, he was he sent me a message. He's like, can you come in and do a talk for the kids for Are You OK Day? Uh, and this was only four months after the attack, so I hadn't even got back in the water yet. Yeah, okay. um, so everything was still really fresh and really raw. And I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm terrified of public speaking. I wouldn't know what to do. But then on the other hand, I was like, but after everything that I've just been through, I know the importance of mental health and are you okay day? And I was like, I'll come in and do it. Like so reluctantly. And I went in that day and I literally just chronologically told my story from like, yeah, I had this dream, this thing happened. And then up until where I was, which wasn't even surfing again. And I spoke for like 45 minutes and then I had 45 minutes questions after it. And I remember there were three teachers in the room and they all came up to me afterwards and they're like, that was incredible. We've never seen those kids sit still for five minutes. And they just sat there for 45 minutes and then asked 45 minutes questions. And then one of them said, you've definitely changed one of these kids' lives today. And that that was the first thing that got me to realise that I had I had something to give. Mm. Uh, and that was that was something where I was like, it felt amazing once I got over the fear and the anxiety of the the speaking <laughs> that I, uh, I was able to actually look at it tangibly and be like, wow, that was... That's amazing. I, mm. I never had been in a situation like that before and, and had something that made me feel so good. And that was one of the first things that made me be like, maybe I've got something here. Yeah. And that kind of developed slowly over time. It wasn't from that point where I was like, this is amazing, I want to get into it because there was always that that anxiety of speaking for me because naturally I'm a pretty introverted and shy person. But the more I looked at that gift that I'd been given of this story, which has just the natural power to engage someone. It wouldn't matter how I told that story. People are always going to be interested as soon as they see the words shark attack. Yeah, totally. Or as soon as like I, I, the first slide I put on my presentations is a photo of my wetsuit after the attack. So it's the wetsuit that's missing a leg. Like that itself tells its own story that, that you could just leave on the screen and people are going to find it interesting. But then going through the process of figuring out what I wanted to talk about, what were the important parts of the story for me, what I thought people were going to resonate with. Mm. Uh, and I slowly, slowly worked my way into to trying to figure out and find my find my feet and being comfortable on stage and sharing the story and, and figuring out what people resonate with as well. There's some things that mean a lot to me that might not mean so much to, to someone else. And there's other things which might seem like only a small step along the way for me, but it, it could be huge for someone else to, totally. to listen to. Um, so as I started developing those things and getting a bit more confidence and dealing with that imposter syndrome type of thing as I went because it wasn't until I I really started to speak alongside other people and it's not really a comparison thing but just learning so much from how they approach the the whole thing of speaking that I looked yep. around and I was like well everybody all a lot of these people are doing is sharing their own experiences but in the context of the people that are sitting in front of them mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and that's what every single speaker does up on stage and once I started realizing that and saying, I just want to be authentic with it. I just want to share the story that means so much to me that hopefully someone will take something away from. Because I I went on a podcast and I was trying to talk about, I I was trying to verbalize the fact that I couldn't believe that there's not more people championing the idea that life is short because life is short, right? And everyone knows that it's short, but we always forget. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone will go through those moments of motivation where they'll they'll feel really energized and they'll make some changes in life. Things are great, but then you always kind of go back to to the mean. Yeah. And I'm like, why are there not more people out there who are doing this? Like just going out there every single day, like almost shouting from the rooftop saying, Life is short, life is short. And it wasn't until I went on this podcast, I was trying to verbalize what this meant to me, because I do it as well. And and he was like, Look, 
what I've learned and what you should really try and reason with here is that anytime you walk into one of these environments, every time you speak, you could speak to a thousand people. The idea that you're going to change every single person's life that day is unrealistic. Mm. And he said, it sounds harsh, but it's true. And he said, what all you can really hope to do, he said, there might be those positive people you'll get messages from, maybe like 5% where they'll be like, that was really, really beneficial to me. But he said, it's, it's often the people that they'll sit there, they'll be immersed, engaged. They probably won't come up and talk to you afterwards, but they've taken it in enough. And it might not be for weeks, months, years later when they're going through something similar for themselves or their own adversity or their own change where it just pops up in the back of their mind. It's like a little reference point or a flag yes. where they can reflect on it. And then they see that that's where the value is in for them, in, in for them. And, and when I started looking at it like that and not measuring myself on, you know, the people that would come up and talk afterwards or like the fact that you get a standing ovation on it, like that just completely went out the window mm. because so much of this stuff is delayed. Yeah. Um, you, like not everyone's going to be going through their version of the shark attack as you're speaking to them then and there. Yeah. And there's sometimes where you'll get more people and, and less people, but it just became for me about if I can go and share my story in a way that's authentic and meaningful for me, yeah, where I can walk away from it in the end and say I've done something to live by my purpose, then I'm happy with that. It's really interesting what you're saying because right now, people will be listening to this and there'll be a myriad of relationships with the discussion, right? Mm. And and I know this for every podcast. I've had people come and go, wow, X, Y, Z was my favourite podcast ever and this is why. And then the, literally the same day someone says com, the complete opposite, right? The two, two ends of the spectrum in terms of the topic or the rationale for why it was important. And everyone's got their own journey. So we had this conversation with Peter Baines a, a few, few podcasts back now who's also a speaker like yourself. Um, and, and I think it's good that you, you know, you can reconcile with that relationship, but yet it's important to you, you know, and you want to make a difference. I'm wondering as you've been through different engagements and you've been in front of different audiences, what was, what's been some of the feedback you've received that you maybe least expected that you thought, wow, like someone came up and shared that with me and that's what they took from my story. Uh, I, I can't picture anything right now that would kind of sit along like something being very unexpected. I always say the most unexpected thing for me is when people come up to me afterwards and say like, oh, for, like I haven't obviously experienced a shark attack, but you made me feel like that was something that I have been through. You made it relatable. And I'm like, I didn't really set out to make the experience relatable, but if people can connect with it on that level, then I guess that at least means the storytelling's good. Mm. Um, because the human struggle, that element is universal so someone will connect with it but then when when i get that sort of feedback i think it's it's definitely interesting to me in that sort of way but yeah i mean peter's a, a great example of someone who i've developed a, really, a relationship recently and he's someone i really look up to when it comes to speaking and i was trying to explain to him uh, not too long ago when we were sitting down having dinner and i was saying my biggest fear with speaking is getting five ten years down the track and telling the same story mm. Like what is this story going to mean to me and then the audience as well in 10 years when I'm just more and more removed from the experience itself? I said, how how long can I keep sharing the story for? <laughs> Peter was like, look, I'm still talking about stuff that happened in 2005, so I think you'll be fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> he, um, but he was like, that's the, the beauty of our industry. Mm. He said, you never know when the phones are going to stop ringing. But the way that he sort of has has been able to guide me and just, however long it goes for, like as long as you can make the most of that time while you've got it, then then that's amazing. And like I always tried to forecast forward and be like, okay, what can I do beyond speaking where I like I know the power of storytelling and what it can do to change people's lives. Like what can I do if it's not my story, if it's someone else's? Yeah. And that's kind of what got me into the film and creating the own, our own um, production company so there's an opportunity and a platform to do that further down the track. So mm -hmm. regardless what happens with the speaking, <laughs> um, that'll that'll live its own natural course. And there's always new experiences that come along. Like I've already found new experiences within my own story in the years since the attack that have been almost more valuable to the audience than than what I would have thought at the time. And I guess you can always add those on, but I think it's also important to look forward and say, well, if this means a lot to me, how can I make sure I'm doing it long-term? And yeah, okay. having a plan for that was really important to me. 
there's probably a, an audience that will always need to hear this story at a point in time. Mm. And so, you know, can, how can they tap into that? But then the, the production piece is just your way, from what I'm gathering, of elevating your impact and, and living this purpose. So, yeah, I'd love to hear more about, like, what have you learned through this? What's what's it look like to build a production company? You know, we can talk about the stand production. But, yeah, just, just tell us a little bit more about how it's all played out. It kind of came out around by accident, as I guess a lot of things do. <laughs> a lot of things do. Um, I I reached out to a friend of mine, Sam Tolhurst, when I was starting to get a few more speaking gigs, and I was like, "Can we make something that's maybe five minutes long that I can share at the start of my presentations, just to kind of give a bit of context around the attack?" Because at that point, I really wanted to minimalize how how much time I was spending on the attack so then I could spend as much amount of time as possible on all the other stuff. Yeah. And it's really easy to get swept up in the attack and to talk about that for way longer than what you should. So I was like, if I can condense that to five minutes, it'll give me heaps of time to talk about everything else. And we worked together for a couple of months and we put together this little five-minute clip, told a bit of the story, had some surfing and stuff in it, had some training things, and we showed it to a few people afterwards. And every single person we showed it to was like, you, you can't leave the story at this. You've got to do something bigger and better. So five minutes turned into 20 minutes, which then ended up turning into a feature-length program. So at that point we were like, well, if we're going to do something that is a feature-length film, how do we approach it? Because that's something that I had always kind of grappled with the idea of what it would mean to share that story in a format like that. And I was always told from people for ages, like, oh, it'd be great for you to write a book. It'd be great for you to write a book. And I almost resisted that for ages because it's, I was like, that's something my mum would tell me, tell me to do. She'd be like, my mum was Don't always- do your homework, write yeah, a book. Yeah, well, my mum was always really proud of my my writing when I was younger. And uh, and she, like, I was like, it sounds like something that she would say. So I resisted against that. And I was like, I want to do the film. And when it comes to doing the film, you have a couple of options. You can either sell the story to someone else mm -hmm. to make it or you can do it yourself. And I, I had, well, there's a third option as well, which is someone will approach you to buy the story off you. Mm. I had plenty of that option at the start, like real, real early on, not necessarily from big production companies, more like your 60 Minutes and stuff like that, who just want to tell the terrifying story of the shark attack. And yeah. I immediately was like, that's not for me. I don't want to focus on on that side of the story. Mm. And when it came to this point where we were like, okay, do we want to do it ourselves and have control over the narrative and what we want to share or yep. do we want to outsource it to someone else? It just made the most sense to set something up so we could do it ourselves. And a big reason for doing that for me was just upholding the integrity and in how I wanted to share the story, mm. especially around how sharks betrayed. Uh, I never wanted sharks to be portrayed in a negative life. My relationship with sharks is one that is a positive thing mm. um, I love sharks I respect them I, I adore them they're, they're amazing creatures and I've found out firsthand in probably the hardest way possible to find out how good they are at what they do mm. um, that's just <laughs> something that adds to the respect piece I wouldn't recommend anyone who gains respect for sharks in that specific way but um, I really wanted to make sure that that was part of the story that I prioritised was, was trying to look at that almost as an educational piece mm. rather than the fear piece. And you, you still have to talk about the attack in a way that's engaging, but I found if I could back that up with talking to marine biologists and, and looking at that side of the story as well, mm. that would be the way I wanted to do it. But then we that was kind of when we were like, okay, we'll do it ourselves and that there's a whole other lot of challenges for yeah. two people who've never made anything together, let alone a, a feature film that you, like we learnt so much through the process. It took us three years from start to finish to make that film and within that there were multiple times where we were like, okay, I think we know what we're doing, I think we know what we're doing and then we show it to someone and they're like, yeah, you're on the right path but you've got to do this so go back and start again. So there were like three or four times where we essentially went back to square one to, to start again and mm. I guess that's all part of, part of the learning. I, it was definitely naive to think that we could have gone in and known everything that we do now. Yes. Uh, but it's still quite incredible despite the the little experience that we do have that we kind of backed ourselves from the very start and we were like, we want to produce something as if it's going to end up on a high-level platform. So yeah. we were like Netflix, Stan, Amazon Prime. Like we were like, this is where we want it to land. So we're just going to produce it as if we're making it for that. Uh, and I, I might be uh, biased, but <laughs> that was, I, I think we've, like I'm really proud of what, what we were able to, to produce uh, and it's something that I, I'm, 
glad we went about it the way that we did, although mm-hmm. it's not the most efficient way to do it. Um, and there's definitely a lot, a lot of other ways <laughs> to do it now, but that's how you, that's how, if you kind of nailed it straight from the start, then you wouldn't know what's the right or the wrong thing to do. You, you'd be unsure if you just kind of fluked your way into it or if maybe there's a better way of doing things. And that whole process of learning, I think was really powerful for helping us set up things for the long term as well. So, so it begs a good question because you, you're now a production guy, right? Yeah. You've got a production company. So <laughs> uh, that learning, um, and apart, we should direct people to watch the, um, the film in a minute, but mm. the, the series in a minute, but how, do, how would you attack any new production now having learned what you've learned? Well, first thing, I probably wouldn't self-fund it because it's an expensive <laughs> process, but we, we had no option. So it's like I could, if I could go back and try and get someone to invest in it, that's great in theory, but no one's going to believe in someone who hasn't made a film before, so you can't really expect anyone to come along and be like, yeah, here's a ton of cash to go and do this with it. Um, so like there's that side of things, but I guess then there's the the tangible process that you actually use to make the film. Um, there's things that we learn about when it, like we thought that we were just going to go ahead and document everything that was happening, set up these interviews and do all of that and that it would kind of just come into place. But you have to be way more methodical when it comes to even just scripting out how you want the storyline to look. Mm. We had it in the back of our head, but it wasn't until we put it down on paper for the first time that we were like, okay, there's some real holes in this storyline that we need to address. So that was part of it. But a, a big thing that I learned along that that is that's the most obvious bit of advice is just if you if you're dealing with any anything that you don't have the answers to get someone that knows what they're doing in. Yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. it's the most obvious advice but um, I think a lot of people kind of get to a point where they'll they'll realize that through their own experience they'll just be butting their head up against the wall over and over again until they find that simple <laughs> that simple solution to it yeah but that was something that really helped us. We had an amazing team around us that helped us. It wasn't just Sam and I, like we were the the producers of it, but we worked with some really, really good people along the way, um, whether it be from other people who helped us with the actual film production or people behind the scenes who were helping us get it on stand or work out the storyline. It was definitely a big thing that I, I learned about having those people around and knowing that you just can't do it all yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's... Um it's fair to say that I don't think that's obvious advice because there are a lot of people that don't actually, you know, they, they might have fear of that or might not be able to, you know, they have stories in their head about not being able to afford all that support, mm. right? It's uh, building a good team, in my opinion, is really challenging to do. Um, but I, res- I really respect where you're coming from and I think it's important to to embrace what you've done, right? I wonder um, where to next? Like what's what's on the road? What, what's on the roadmap? There's, there's a bit. Um, like I, for me personally, I'm the speaking's always going to be a big thing. I've got some bigger physical challenges that I'm kind of looking at doing over the next twelve months, and then production-wise, we're actually working on a TV series at the moment, um, which is around sort of stories behind sports. Mm. Uh, so we were in Kansas earlier this year shooting um, college basketball, which was a really, really cool experience. Yeah, wow. Um, so we're we're looking at kind of getting a a whole series out around that which is kind of getting to the really exciting stages now so i guess between that some speaking and then these other physical challenges i've got coming it'll be a busy busy little period coming up but it's it's all really really exciting this is like when i when we set out to make the film and the speaking was starting to take off and i was starting to really push myself with some of these physical challenges i had an idea of what I wanted things to look like in a couple of years' time and it's kind of all starting to get to that point now, which is it's an amazing an amazing feeling um, of, of just kind of getting to that point where everything's starting to fall into place and you're looking at that overall purpose that you kind of want to be living by and, and you're starting to get to that point and still have a long way to go. Um, yeah. <laughs> there'll always be things to work on, but yeah. it, it feels good to kind of to be living that. Yeah, well, going back to your point before, it might not be a long way to go. It just might be just a continuous process of living it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's really inspirational, mate. Like it's 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 uh, you probably hear this all the time, but you know, for me, I, I'm going to say it because it's true. It's like, you know, you could easily fall into a hole and and find ways to um, you know, like you said before, be the victim. And that's not to to suggest anyone who's really struggling with this stuff, um, you know won't uh, or should be um, you know, you're labelled that way. I think there's there's aspects of that that are fair to say, well, I Definitely. am literally a victim. I've been bitten by a shark. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not trivial. But um, 
but I think it's important to sort of reflect on that. And, and I wonder, you know, given you are so purpose-driven these days and you talked about the, some of the physical events, you've got the production house, you've got speaking, there's like you're living living and breathing this all day, every day. You know, if you look back in the future and you say, you know, what do you really want to be proud of? What do you want to be known for? For me, if I can look back and say that I have... Well, a big thing, if I look at what I learned through the recovery and if I can approach, I guess, the vision of my life in the same way and say, regardless of where I end in the end, like at the end, if I can be proud of the things that I'm doing today and tomorrow um, and knowing that I'm living a life that is full of purpose and that I'm actually trying to get something meaningful out of my life, that's what I'll be proud of. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what that meaning is and I guess that's where it relates to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Just because I'm doing what I'm doing in my life doesn't mean it's going to be suitable for someone else and it's the same. Like what you're achieving in life is different to what's what other people are going to achieve and that's totally fine. Um, yeah. Everyone is different and I think that's kind of the beauty of life and when I have these conversations with people and the lens that different people view not only my story through but life in general I think is is an amazing thing so if I can you know get to the end of it and know that I've lived true to myself and have maybe been able to help a few other people along the way then I'd consider that a, an amazing life to live. Oh mate, it's, uh, I have no doubt you'll you'll live it live it up, mate. You just you can see it. It's just part of who you are. These, yeah, you know, it's, it's a result of the way you've attacked your situation. But I guess there's one final question I have, and and it might tell a little bit about how you're thinking about the future. But of all the, I'm sure you've had plenty of advice. You've you've speak you've spoken to people. You've formulated your own way of looking at the world. You teach others um, through your speaking and through the the work you do. What what advice do you have for yourself as you start to lean into the future? What are the things that you, you know, whether it's a principle, whether it's a, an idea that um, you know you need to lean into that's going to move you forward? I think that's a great question because that, that question is often framed like what advice would you give to a younger you? And it's almost the opposite. What's something that's meaningful now that is going to mean just as much to you in, in a certain amount of time? And I think a big part of that for me is... Like something I've found so much value in, especially in the last couple of years, is the ability to take a step back, gain some perspective and reflect. Mm. Uh, I think just the practice of being able to do that is not only important in looking back and acknowledging how far you've come and looking at the work that you have done and being proud of that, but it's also really important to help plan forward as well because mm. it gives you a tangible moment to be like, okay, where have we come from? Where are we at? What's changed? And how is that going to affect whatever the next step forward is? I've found for me there's so much value in looking back in order to look forward uh, and that for me comes in just the way that I reflect and like I, I have a very systematic way of doing that. I actually do a quarterly reflection so every three months I'll sit down and write down what my list of values are, what my mm -hmm. goals are and, and really break it down in a very systematic way which is something that works for me. Yeah. Um, people might think, Every three months is probably a bit much, but a lot can change in three months. So that that ability to to actually take time for myself to reflect is probably that one thing that has worked really well for me up until this point that I would really love to keep doing um, mm. for a long time to come because I think there's a lot of value in it. Well, don't feel too bad. I do it every week. So there you go. <laughs> and, and for me, I, it just it, maybe it's because of where I'm at, but it's grounding and it helps me uh, helps me recalibrate every week. Sometimes the you know, ticker goes a bit fast for me. <laughs> but uh, Brett, you've been an absolute star, and I think we could have dug into so many areas. Um, my sister have said this before, like you know, we'll spend time and we could talk forever. But um, I, I think there's a real gift in what you've got to share, and I, you know, I think speaking, production, you know, living your purpose is about making a difference to other people. And I know, um, you know, you've, you've basically, you know, you're role modeling this in the way you live as much as the way you speak and share your story. So, man, I want to congratulate you on that. And, and I want to say big thanks for uh, spending time on the podcast, mate. Of course. It was, uh, it was great to have a chat. Really nice to really nice to be able to talk about things in maybe a bit of a different lens to what I usually would. So uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, you're a star. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>